Hello, thanks for joining us. My name is David Malone. And my name's Ian Stroud. Welcome to Hi-Fi. I thought I'd like to talk about um, education and the uh, rather horrid muddle that I think it's in. How long has our current educational system been going? Yeah, well, that's a bit of a difficult question. I mean, in some, in some ways, I think that the things which have gone awry with our system in a sort of ironic way have grown out of a lot of the um, improvements that the Blair uh, <laughs> dynasty uh, tried to bring in, some of which you can see why they tried to do it. But I think like a lot of things, they were well-intentioned and they probably did do some good things, uh, yeah. but then they've taken on a very negative life of their own. Do you, do you think that the political parties have been using education a little bit more like we accuse them of using the nhs as a football no no it's not like the nhs because i think most people think of the nhs as a as a wonderful thing to one degree or another yeah but education is a wonderful thing as well well it's said that a lot of people you know you hear them they're open to people going oh teachers you know they're lazy they get so much time off and it's a bit of an easy job you know and the if you can't do teach um and so I think there is more of a tendency to think teachers have it easy, and if there's something wrong, it's probably the teacher's fault. Let, well, let, let, let me that was certainly the Blair view, wasn't it? Yeah, but let me clarify my comment. Education is, is a good thing, and that is teaching knowledge is great. I'm not saying that our educational system is good. Yeah, yeah. When you say how long has the system been going on, yeah, in a big notable change was when the Gang of Four started. You know, when they broke away from Labour. Yeah. Um, and if I remember rightly, when I was only a kid at the time, but talking to my parents, it, a lot of it was over what do we do with the grammar schools and the whole secondary modern idea. Yeah. And at least from my view, and I'm not an expert on it, it did seem to me that there was a well-intentioned idea, really a, a good idea, a defensible idea, that rather than arbitrarily setting kids an exam at 11 and then those that passed went to a better school yeah. and those that didn't. Because even as an 11-year-old, I knew there was something wrong with that system because a, a good friend of mine at junior school, 11, called Stephen Main, even I knew as a kid there was something really wrong that somehow I was sent to a grammar school and he did, he went to a secondary modern. Even yeah. at 11, I thought, that's mad. Stephen's really bright, interesting, clever yeah. kid. It was the 11 plus, and even I passed it and ended up in a grammar school. It's it's hard to talk about something. I'm trying to, to ignore the, the personal. I, I really disliked school. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I felt uncomfortable in there. There's issues that I think about in terms of spectral disorders and autism and dyslexia and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I interestingly listened to a podcast a while ago. I think it was on trigonometry. And there was a man on it called Michael Malice. That's kind of when my ears sort of first pricked up a little bit. He was describing the educational system in the US. His criticism was that everyone learns at the same rate. You don't mm. ask questions. You all think the same. You don't question the narrative. But he, he elaborated a bit more and sort of said it's, it's there to break spirits. 
And the thing is, it doesn't have to be. I, I do think we need to look at the educational system pronto. As far as, you know, is it worse here than in America? Well, I, I haven't lived in America for a long time now, but I uh, did, did teach you there teach, for a year. You did, yeah, I you did. taught there. I taught for a year under, uh, and, and that was in the 80s. So for most people, that's, you know, ancient history. My kids learned about the 80s in their history class. Wow. Nothing. <laughs> I suddenly felt really old. I think, wait can a minute, I, can I'm historic. Can I tell you what I learned about in my history class? What? It was the bog man. Do you mean? <laughs> I tell you what I wanted to, to, to sort of what prompted me. Yeah. Is, um, funnily enough, it, it's the whole COVID business because um, my lads were going through uh, university at that point. Yeah. Um, and you know, I remember very clearly they said, "Look, you know, uh, the young are not really taking this seriously because it doesn't affect them, and you know they're all traveling around and having parties." Um, how true that was, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and they need to remember that even if it's not going to hurt them, it's going to hurt their parents or, or, or certainly their grandparents. And that message sort of stuck and that the lads were um, either locked down at university yeah. or had to come home. And luckily it was clear that the writing was on the wall. So I just said to them, come home now. Yeah. And this was before the universities had shut down. I said, I know, don't wait for them to tell you that you're locked in your room. Come on now, and they did. Yeah, but it was clear then how damaging it was to to my lads missing out on university, and and even worse for kids who are facing their their A levels or their GCSEs. I mean, there's a whole cohort of kids from 15 through to what 24, yeah, who one way or the other really got hammered because they just didn't get an education. You know, my my brother's daughter was still in um, uh, in high school. So yeah. I could see both sides. And the, the message was right in the sense that, yes, it wasn't that that generation wasn't in danger, but, you know, it was much more dangerous for their grandparents. And I, I looked at it and I thought, okay. And by and large, the kids did do what was after them. You know, they... they missed out on face-to-face -face teaching. They missed out going to school. They missed out all of the camaraderie of being at school, all the decent, the, the really, the bits of school that help sustain you as a person. Yeah. All of that got absolutely knocked on the head, not for just a year, yeah, it was for several years. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole cohort of kids now who, they, they haven't been caught up. There's just no way that, they're, that they got as much education, not even a fraction of what they ought to have. And in a way, that generation took it on the chin. Yeah. And I've, I have to say, it's appalled me that the generation that said, you need to do this for us, surely that generation, essentially my generation and older, should now or should have in, you know, a year ago said, right, these kids really paid the price we now need to turn around and say to them, you did something extraordinary for us. Thank you. We are now going to do something extraordinary for you. But have they? Yeah. No, no. they haven't. They've yeah. just said, and, and when I say they, I mean my generation and, and above, they basically said, yeah, thanks. Okay, uh, where's my train pass and where's my pension? <laughs> and just carried on. Carried on underfunding the schools, which, as a voting generation, they've done for their entire lives. Yeah. I'm just utterly, utterly appalled that it's not even occurred to them. 
that they owe that younger generation something. And then when you then get the news that, yeah, and we've spent 40 years, every government of which whichever color of Z has been saying, well, yeah, we'll just, um, we'll, we'll knock up some schools with something that's cheap because, you know, it's temporary and we're in a rush and we've got other priorities. And of course, the Great British temporary means forever. Yeah. I now, think, if I a, think if there... a British politician says, can you hold my beer? Say no, because you'll be there 10 years later still holding his beer for him. Yeah, but I, I, I think there was an interesting report that came out in the last couple of days. John Curtis was over it. Mm. And it was looking at sort of the so, sort of social factors of putting up tax to pay for things. Yeah. It, it did look at sort of our age sort of saying mm. yes that's a good thing but it, like you sort of said i think the younger age group certainly the age group that you're talking about they were against it or or or, or less for it if that makes sense well they, they were less willing to put up taxes yes. to pay for things probably because well, uh, they have all the problems of buying a home and jobs and and i mean when we start out in life we're all skint i mean i was sure. <laughs> so, same here yeah. yeah but on the other hand so you get out of school or you get out of university and you're skint and you think, I'm just getting started in life. Yeah. That's what a graduated tax system is for. Yeah. You know, if we had a decently graduated tax system, you wouldn't be saying, well, we'll raise taxes by putting a penny on the pound for everyone or the idiot way in which we often do it, which is put it on that, which is the flattest tax. So in fact, it's an inverse tax. You know, it taxes yeah. the poor more than the rich. But maybe maybe that, that, that report, um, maybe that is saying that the older people are willing to pay something towards it. I mean, you're sort of saying that we haven't, and it's it's disgusting, and it should happen. Perhaps there is an agreeable population out there that think you, you, you're right, that we should well, do something. Well, right. I agree with you. There must be. I mean, but so maybe, maybe, maybe my annoyance is slightly misplaced. I certainly think there are plenty of people who... It never occurred to them. They're just not interested. No, you're, you're, you're spot on. But I think, I think you are also right that um, even if you if you did want to, which political party could you vote for? It takes <laughs> us back to the last, you know, our last podcast. That's the problem. There's, there is nobody. But nevertheless, I, I I I think we. I just really want to say, look, we do owe that generation something extraordinary. We we do owe them morally. We owe them something. We ought to be saying. You did something extraordinary for us. It's our turn to do something extraordinary for you. I agree. And, I, and if our politicians won't do it, then we need to demand it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's not as if fixing education is uh, like solving nuclear um, fusion. It's just not. <laughs> you know, we, it's, we, we put men on the moon and brought them back again. We can't fix the education system. I mean, there's only two things you've ever, ever needed to do to fix the education system. Go on, then what, what? are those two things? Oh, come on, they're the easiest ones. Fund you need it. to build more schools so that you've got, you can half the class size yeah. and have more teachers. How do you know this is the answer? Look at all of the, the public schools. Yeah. Is Eton populated by geniuses who are genetically popping out of the aristocracy, who are just such geniuses that, you know, that's why Eton is good. No. This, this is the charity status Eton we're talking about, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, those schools 
they have small class sizes, which means that the teachers aren't spending half of their time just trying to keep people you know, um, from misbehaving. They, they've got time to talk to each individual student. Yeah, and yet, what you know, and I asked my kids the whole time they were going through school, and they just looked at me like, "Why are you even asking this question?" Of course, it's clear to kids in school. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's the problem that I had. I mean, class sizes were thirty-five, probably yeah, around that right. that kind of figure, and that was the thing. I I I, I, I feel. Um, outsider syndrome anyway but then you put yourself into into a system like that where there's there's got to be a balance and i understand that there's a balance between educating the most amount of people with an amount of money sure and i would sort of say yeah but we've you know it's it's kind of like we've been doing it half asked for the last 50 years yeah yeah class sizes were too big there's there's the book that you lent me the, the what was it called oh the patent seekers uh patent seekers yeah the simon cohen Baron, Baron yeah. cohen that's the one everything that he was writing about in terms of the people that we need in in a society to be the I think outside the box to yeah. be those people that that they're i can't i can't get my head around you don't produce people like that by having an educational system where everyone's got to think the same and you can't be critical of anything and you must toe the line and be subservient. That doesn't yeah, happen. Well, agreed. I mean, I, I kind of suspect that a lot of the people that do succeed probably succeed because they've had to fight through that. But yeah. I don't think it should be a fight. I think it should be more one-on-one, certainly down to smaller class sizes. Yeah, well, the thing is, you can... Kids can learn in a large class yeah. in the sense of open your book at page 53, start taking notes, or here's the vocabulary, copy it down, or let's all say this together. Yeah. Um, but you can't get kids to question and think in large groups. No. And that's the difference. I mean, I've said this to my kids, and I've been teaching recently, and it's funny how when you do mention this to to, to kids in a the classroom, they all nod at you as if you were just saying <laughs> blazingly obvious, because you are. Um, that, that They were all saying, well, at school, it's 90% learning and 10% thinking. And I said, I think it should be at least 50-50. Yeah. The problem with our schools is there's way, way too much learning, funnily enough, yeah. and not enough time thinking. You know, if you just learn stuff, you know, yeah. stuff that other people have told you. Obviously, you have to do that. You have to learn your time stable if you want to be able to multiply things. Yeah. There are some things you need to learn. Fair enough. But that's fairly quickly, if you want kids to learn in a way where they've actually made this a part of their thinking mind, rather than just something jotted down in a book that they could maybe find before the exam, yeah. then they need to think about what they're learning. You need thinking time, and there's hardly any in our schools. Can I just pull you up about something? Sure. In a previous podcast, I've described you as clever. <laughs> you, you replied to the saying, "I just read a lot of books," um, and you <laughs> you bat it away. And I, I'm asking you to stop batting it away, because the books will give you knowledge, but it's being able to take that knowledge and apply wisdom 
alongside it. And I think sure. that's okay. the crux of, of what we're talking about. Fine, you can teach facts and facts and facts. And and, and this is this is the problem that education now is so much results based. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Lead and that, table method. Yeah, learning. well that gets us to the whole Blair thing, you know, that that, that was um we've got we've got to have some way to pull up standards. Yeah. I mean, you know, that sentence, how could you argue with that sentence? It's like saying we should do away with war. Well, you're hardly going to say, no, no, I want more <laughs> war. No, I want lower standards. So, yeah, okay, fine. But the, my question was, how many really bad teachers were there? And I'm not sure there's ever been a time when there was just, the, the system was overwhelmed with bad teachers, that there were armies of useless, selfish, stupid layabouts, all thinking to themselves, you know what? The way I'm going to screw the system is I'm going to become a teacher. No, I, I don't. don't. I, I, think I, don't think, you... I, I remember I had one really bad teacher. Yeah. And the rest of them varied from adequate to great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course we need to improve standards, but, you know... Well, as I... if that was the problem all along and not the fact that we had fairly crappy buildings that le leaked in the winter and were boiling hot in the summer. And we didn't, we had class sizes, as you said, of 30. Um, th they never, they never got talked about. And well, I think they, they the did, because I remember soon after leaving school, that certainly it was being discussed that, you know, was it, it could have been labor at that time to the same, we're going to get, you know, class sizes below 30, you know, around about 25. And of course, you hear this and assume that that's been done and class sizes now are smaller than they are. But then the other problem that the, that, you know, you've, you've touched on the people that are providing the education and the teachers, my sister, sister teachers, mm. and I've spoken to her and sort of said, you know, what is the teaching profession like at the moment? And she just has said, well, there's, where do you start? You know, there's a, a yeah. bullying culture, there's mental health, um, You've got Ofsted overseeing um, these league tables and they come in for 30 minutes to surveil you. Yeah, yeah. Everything's targets-driven. She was talking about value-added. This this was one of the things that the teachers were had to do. It was kind of like, right, we're going to go for value-added. So any student that was on a B or a C, the value-added targets they were going for was trying to push them up from a C to a B and a B to an A. So obviously... Right you've got to sort of think well if i was in their shoes i'd go i would choose the students that i think i could do that so you'll yeah. focus on certain students but then the next term it changes to oh no we've got to get a's and b's so then you forget about the c's and you just concentrate on getting the you know good a's sure. and b's so well I, this I, is part of the problem with ofsted i agree with you i mean you know like i said if someone comes in and said well we, we're going to bring in a system to raise standards you're hardly it, it, it just sounds like, well, of course, yeah. But the way that they did it, I wasn't there when it started, so I can't speak about it, but yeah. I can certainly speak about what it's become. Because like you, I, I talked to a teacher I met at a party a little while ago, um, and it was he was a little bit in his cups when I chatted to him. Yeah. But he, it was obviously this was someone who loved teaching, had always loved teaching, and had just come to the end of the road. And he just said, no one trusts me to teach. It's endless paperwork, and... I just have to hit targets and that what they care about are the targets, yeah. not the kids. Totally, and totally. That part of the problem is that when you have a system which says we're going to measure success, 
then every idiot knows that you can only measure the measurable. Yeah. So you then have league tables. Yes. And you have rankings and you have exam results because they can all be measured. Yeah. The excitement and the inspiration that a kid might get from a teacher taking the time to inspire that, that kid by, by presenting something and, and asking them questions which are designed to get that kid's mind to light up, that can't be measured, so it doesn't get measured, so it's not part of the equation. Yeah. And so you end up with teachers being forced to, by the people who run the schools, to teach to the exam because the results of that can be measured. And yeah. so we do have a system where everyone is forced to stick to a narrow curriculum. There is no time for inspiring kids. Yeah. I mean, teachers can try, but on their own head be it. Um, <laughs> um, and it's just about the teaching to the exam, stick to the curriculum, teach to the exam, and just get them to rote learn. We have gone backwards, yeah, radically yeah. gone backwards. I mean, and any any parent that I've talked to over the last sort of 10 years that have had children that have gone through schooling, their success or failure at exam time is all down to past papers. So yeah. what we're teaching kids is how to pass an exam. Yeah. Because we're sort of saying this will get this will get taught and this is how you answer it. So that goes back to the the Michael Malice kind of like subduing the, the yeah. pupils. Yeah. Well, it just says it's about learning what you're expected to write rather than... It's thinking. not critical thinking, is it? No, it's not. And um, we end up with teachers who want to inspire being forced out. Yeah. And then naturally the people who survive are those who are much more comfortable with just teach. So teach to the exam, just uh, the tick box culture. And so you end up with this system. Yeah becoming the means by which it recreates the education system in its own tick box image. So we're, we're, we're recruiting people to it. The only people who can survive in it are ones who can survive with that. And, yeah. So uh, it's, I, it's something my sister touched on in, in, in her talking about colleagues feeling crushed, feeling pressure, and, and basically teachers being driven out of the, out of the profession just through frustration and being burnt out. Yeah, and they, they know they're not trusted. Yeah. They know they're not trusted that the entire workplace is, we don't trust you, so we're constantly going to look over your shoulder, constantly make you fill out paperwork. Did you spend enough time on this? Where have you got to the curriculum? Have you covered this point? What was the exam on the test? How did your kids do? So they are not trusted to be the purveyors of thinking and intellectual interest and excitement. And that the kids know this. The kids aren't stupid. Hell, you know, I taught for a year and I taught in a school which was supposed which was a dreadful school and my kids were the bottom of the heap. The other teachers called them the animals. Uh -huh. uh, and But these supposedly very stupid kids, they were stupid because, considered stupid because they they were in the lowest stream and they all failed and they'd had to repeat year, year after year. Yeah. But these supposedly stupid kids... They weren't stupid. They were worldly and they understood. And almost on day one, it was like maybe day three, one of them said, yo, man, why, we, why should I learn this stuff? I was teaching, it was in New Jersey, and I was teaching fundamental biology, which was mostly fundamental, as in, please sit down. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I said to them, well, I'm not sure how much practical biology I need to teach you because half of the girls, they already had a kid yeah. at age 15. 
Um, they thought that was quite oh, funny. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I thought, well, I can, I can give them the usual bullshit about, well, you know, if you work hard, you get a good job. But these were, these were the bottom of the heap yeah. in America. They were poor and they were black. Um, and I said to them, look, nothing you learn in my class is going to help you get a better job. If you can tell me the five qualities by which you can tell what a mouth, you know, if something's a mammal, that's not going to mean you get a better job. No. That's not why you should bother turning up. And I said, so they said, so, yo, man, why should we? And I said, there's one reason above all others. Now, when they were 15, 16, I said, now is when you decide what kind of parent you're going to be in life. Yeah. There are two kinds of parents. There's the parent who, when their child says, Dad, what is that? You say, shit, I don't know, go ask someone else. Or you're the parent who says, well, and you can tell them something, and your kid listens to you and is impressed. Yeah. And that made sense to them because it was at least honest. And I don't think our education system is being honest. And if we continue to tell them, well, if you work hard and you get A's, you'll have a better life. Too many kids can see quite clearly this is not going to work for them. Yeah. And so then they they think, why should I? I, I mean, you know, the teacher doesn't have time for me. The teacher's not actually able to take an interest in me because there's 30 other people quite a few of whom have, you know, emotional problems. The class is a bit of a shambles. And all I'm told is open your book and copy these things down and just take notes and just regurgitate what I've told you and do a few practice exams so you can actually yeah. not only tell me what you I want you to tell me, but tell it to me in the exact phrases that I want yes. to examine. <laughs> want you. you know, what kind of a stupid system is that? And when people don't want to make it. As you know, this is where you started. Look, we've got so many other things. And I understand that. You know, if you're worried about whether you can actually switch the heating on and give your kids something good to eat, and then someone says, you know, we should be spending more on education, you yeah. might agree with them, but you think, how? How? But, you know, it's not a long timeline to failure. But it's, it's, it's what I was going to say is, is, when I was referring to sort of government and the NHS and, and are they using it, mm. it's almost that the educational, that this this system of constantly changing what we're asking teachers to do, sure. when does that stop? When do we have some kind of, I'm going to sound completely stupid now, but when do we have a cross-party agreement on a, on an educational system which is which is allowed to do the things that we've been talking about that is funded in a way that allows not necessarily one-on-one -on -one, but certainly smaller class sizes it's not going to happen Ian. it's not going to happen because if it was both parties have had oh. 50 years no, well, that's, that's what to I was... say the obvious they yeah. haven't why would they suddenly do so now the whole competition is both sides know what needs to be done and it costs money, you need to have more teachers, smaller class sizes. That's it. Yeah. There the, the are no other things that you need that are as fundamental as those two things. But neither wants to do that. And so then it becomes a competition to see who can come up with the most polished-sounding bullshit. And so, you know, we're going to have uh, off, increased Ofsted inspections where we're going to have academies. And they, they both come up with things which are... Uh, largely irrelevant to the real problem. Changing the chairs on the Titanic, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, when I said it's not a time long, long timeline to failure, what I mean is that education is not something you can say, well, we'll get to it in a few decades. No. Your child goes to school age, what, five? Mm-hmm. And by 18, a lot of them have popped out at the end of it. And whether they're going to try and go on to university or not, they've already experienced the bulk of their education and what they think about education in in from five to 18. Yeah. So that's what, 13 years? So you've got 13 years. And if you neglect that child's education, in that child will pop out the end of 18, being disillusioned, badly educated, not interested in education, and had the idea that there is a pleasure in thinking and that they can think beaten out of them. And you've achieved all of that in 13 years. Yeah. So it doesn't take long to fail a generation. And we failed loads of them. When are we going to stop? Well, that, that, our children. Well, that, 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 that's what, that was one of the things that I, I kind of came across a while ago. It was a Harvard docu- document that was basically looking at something about teaching tips. Now, this is going back to sort of the 1970s. So yeah. the discussion was there then on teaching practice. Mm. And it was throwing up reports from 1967. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm being a bit flippant by sort of asking you <laughs> as if you're going to know when this is all going to change. But that's it. Society was aware of it, and society were talking about it back in the 70s. And there were some experiments. I think, what was it, Summerhill School? I think that's the name. Forgive me if I got it wrong. But there were some famous experiments, and they had great successes, but it was then all sort of seen as all a bit too hippie and free love and and we went back to the three r's and <laughs> and, and in a way i'm just saying look let's not even get to that level of discussion before we get stuck in you know people's ideological dead ends yeah why don't we just admit whichever ideology you want to impose on kids do it in a school where there's 15 to a class size and enough teachers to go around yeah and then however bad your ideology is the kids will probably survive it yeah, I, 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 just the slogan, the three R's, annoys the shit out of me anyway. Because yeah. they're not yeah. fucking R's. Yeah, exactly. Well, but it's yeah. a great slogan, and we'll use that. Do you know what, actually, um, on a on a slightly different point, um, yeah. I, I, I don't do lots of social media and stuff like that, but I happened to sort of get a, a little message popped up. So I went to have a look, and um, and it was on the, the Book of Faces and one of my friends, George Borowski, he's a guitarist in mm. Manchester. I posted a very simple thing. He said, my dad said, it's all about division. Nothing more, nothing less. Mm. And yeah. I just went, yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking for about the last decade. Yeah. You know, if you look at everything, and, and education sort of falls into this, We'll argue about, you know, whether it's league tables, whether it's it's upgrading it, whether it's C's to B's or concentrate on this, and, and, and they'll keep the debate there, but they won't want us to step out. They'll no, want I mean, to as long as they divided. get everyone to debate their meaningless initiatives, then no one actually just says, the you know, the only things that need to be said. Yeah. Um, and... I don't think the country can afford to not educate the young. No, no, we can't. And the and the, and the young, the, the kids, they do know they're being shortchanged. They're yeah. not stupid. You know, I was 
in classes this last few weeks and I was talking to a whole big bunch of um, Italian students and the, the conversations we had were just, they were honest about what they thought worked and what they wanted and yeah. it was clear they wanted to be able to not just learn new stuff but to be have someone say, well, what do you think about this? And to actually take an interest in what they thought not just say, okay, you're in charge of the class. Not, not that kind of, you know, yeah. the, the, the right wing's burlesque of the hippie notion, but just someone saying, well, it's, you're not here just to memorize stuff. You're here to learn how to think and how to question and follow through your first thoughts to see if they lead to sort of some sort of silliness. And the kids enjoyed that. Yeah. They enjoyed being asked. They, they enjoyed it when... I would ask them a few more questions and they'd say, oh, I see, yeah, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> they enjoyed it because they were well, part of it. That's critical thinking. That's kind of like working things out. And that's that got to be at the centre of, of, you know, when we're looking at all these future things and AI coming in and, and yeah. we just need that level of, of thinking. I would say, right, we're going to start a crash programme of building schools. And everyone always says, oh, you can't build schools that quickly. And yet we can put up tower blocks and cheap houses yeah. between one weekend and the next apparently well so, I've, I've of course we can a current education secretary is it keegan or something she came out and sort of said the kids are enjoying being taught in um in these demountable buildings that they're shipped into the schools because of the failing bubbly concrete yeah i mean, I mean the dishonesty just beggars belief you know build some schools and I, I would do it day one, say we're starting a crash program building schools and pump some money into it and then say, and we need teachers to fill them. And you need to do it fast because you need to make it a fait accompli for the incoming government if you vote it out in five years' time. It needs to be something that it's so far along they can't stop it. But this, yeah. this, this, go, this sort of takes me back to what you were telling me about the sort of financial system in mm. terms of one government goes in and says, oh, we're going to build bridges, and then the next one comes in and says, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. it, it, for me, education's that point is, and I don't know where to, to go because nothing against civil servants, but that kind of feels as if there needs to be a body that can oversee education that is not twisted and turned. For the sake of the teachers, if, if no one else, yeah. that, that there's just an ideology that... that can be agreed on even if it's just a b and c and we just do that and then all of the other things can be flexible or can be sort of manipulated or yeah well or, that's or, why i think that i agree with you and that's why i think you start off with more schools more teachers because yeah. you, you haven't then got into the the idea well what are they going to teach what's the curriculum are we going to teach that britain is great or are we going to teach that, that that britain is a terrible thing what are we going to teach what's it going to be uh, don't get bogged down in all of that. Like I said, you yeah. have the schools, have the teachers, have the small class size. And at that point, the worst government with the most toxic ideology in the world, the kids will probably survive. Yeah, I get, They'll I get survive idiocy of whatever government their parents foist upon them. If they've at least got a refuge where 15 other kids or 14 other kids and a teacher who's free to teach yeah. in a small class, that in that little refuge, they'll probably be able to make something uh, which can't be destroyed by by bureaucrats. I mean, the bureaucrats here destroyed the local school that my kids went to. They had a good school, 
and they had a school that was really, really in trouble. And instead of saying, right, we should now put some money into the school that's failing and stop it failing, oh no, what they did is they said, yeah, rather than put any money in at all, let's just amalgamate the two schools. <laughs> As if somehow, um, you know, it's like saying, here's a man with, le with, with Ebola and here's a man who's not. Let's stick them together. Rather than cure the man with the bowler, let's just make them live together. Because maybe the man who's well will be able to help him out. Yeah. No, they both die of Ebola. And that's what happened. So the, the bad school didn't get any better. And the good school utterly fell apart. And for the, almost the entire time my kids were at that school, it was in special measures. And at one point, they said, well, we can't, we haven't got enough teachers. And we're going to have to close the library because we're going to get rid of the librarian. So it was going to be a school without a library. And the only reason it stayed open is because my two lads said, well, we'll run it. How pathetic is that? <laughs> Utterly pathetic. And the, the, the town bureaucrats and education system bureaucrats who oversaw the demolition of a good school and the, the catastrophe that, that heaped upon a generation of kids, oh, they're fine. Yeah. They're just absolutely fine. They didn't care. That has to stop. Can I ask you a closing question then? Sure. Are we as a society a little bit too hung up on getting nine A stars, getting to university? I mean, the back of this is, is as I was growing up, they got rid of apprenticeships. I knew when I was at school it was doing nothing for me. So yeah. it... it it, is, is there something in society, is there something in the pattern spotters? Should I have left school at 14 and gone to a different educational establishment? Should I have gone on to an apprenticeship at 14? Well, yeah, I mean, it gets back to where you started, which is education isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all. And the larger the class size, the more it has to be. But, it, but are we driving so much of the importance of your degree uh, i think we are i mean the the, the country needs well-educated people who are educated in a more academic way sure it also needs people who are good at all of the other things that need to be done and enjoy it yeah i think part of the problem was there was this notion that and quite rightly that it's what lay behind the idea of the secondary modern yeah that um there's an arbitrary point at which we measure kids and all it takes is for my friend Stephen Main to have had a row with his very unpleasant dad the night before or have a cold, and he's going to do badly on the exam. And that yeah. was it. His life changed. Yeah. There was something very wrong with that, especially when it was thought that, well, you fund the grammar schools, but you don't really fund the rest. And so the thought was, all these kids, we don't know who are the good ones and who, who are the ones who are going to flourish with, a more, with exposure to academic ideas and who won't. Yeah. So let's make sure that we're not just weeding them out from in an arbitrary fashion. That's true. But of course, then the opposite is true. As you just said, then there are kids who it's not for them and it's a torture for them. Yeah. Um, well, how do you decide between the two? Well, I'll tell you a good way is have teachers who know their kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, as like I said, none of the problems are so insoluble that you need to resurrect Einstein and say, mate, this is so complicated. How does this work? Yeah. You know, yeah, so kids are different. So you need to have people who can see those differences. Who would those people be? Maybe it would be teachers. Okay, <laughs> how should we do that? Let's give them time to do that. How can we do that? Well, let's have them only in charge of 15 kids in the class instead of 30. Wow, you know, we really needed Einstein to figure that out for us. Every politician who's ever lied to us about education knew that. 
and they lie. Yeah, that's a very good, succinct point to end on, I think, David. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, mate. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find your Substack? Yeah, yeah. If you go to Substack, um, look up my name or Hyperland. Um, leave us a comment. Leave us an idea for something we should talk about. It would be great to hear what you think. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Take care. Good night.